Welcome back to the Feds, insiders bringing accountability, integrity, and reform to a broken bureaucracy. I am Stephanie Weidel. Please go ahead and like, comment, and subscribe on the platform where you heard this podcast. We are on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, YouTube, and Rumble. Today, Jim, Demis, and I interviewed James Roguski, who in March of 2022 uncovered documents regarding the proposed amendments to the World Health Organization's international health regulations and has been instrumental in raising awareness about them. We discuss the timeline of the World Health Organization's history up to today, the different amendments proposed, as well as the pandemic treaty itself. James clearly states that in some cases, the amendments aren't the problem. It's the process by which the amendments have been or will be adopted that is troubling. Instead of giving in to a state of fear, James instead encourages us to take hold of our country's future by bringing awareness to the issue and holding our leaders accountable. Thanks so much for coming on, everyone. Hi, Jim. Hi, Demis. And welcome, James. We are so excited to have you here today. Could you start us out with talking a little bit about your background and why you started um, looking into the World Health Organization's uh, pandemic documents? Well, you know, it's really, uh, I got to give credit where credit is due. I think it's divine intervention. Um, I uh, had published many, many things on the internet in regards to natural health. And um, back in January of 2022, um, the FDA uh, approved the intravenous use of remdesivir in infants on January 21st, 2022. And my head just exploded. I just was like, you gotta be kidding me. So I published a handful of articles about that and I woke up on February 7th um, to an email that said all, you know, the vast majority of what I had worked for more than a decade was gone or it was going away in a day and a half or so. And so I got wiped off the internet, um, maybe for speaking the truth. I asked him, you know, what the reason was that they um, terminated our relationship. And I never got an answer. And so I landed on Substack. Okay, I had many, many, many of my own websites, but I landed and started up an account on Substack. And I came across some information about what the WHO was beginning to have rumblings about negotiating. Because this, this in many ways, you could say this all started a little bit before that. At the end of November and December in 2021, they had a special session of the World Health Assembly. And so I learned about that, um, published a couple of articles about it. And then I got dragged out of bed one morning at four in the morning, compelled to go research something on the internet, which is not unusual, but not usually at four in the morning. Okay. And I stumbled upon or was guided to a document that the Biden administration had quietly submitted in January of 2022, but I didn't find it until near the end of March. And I realized what it was, sent a shiver down my spine, and I've probably written 150, one of these days I'll count how many, I, I probably published at least 150 articles about what the heck has been going on with the WHO. So, um, you know, it, it wasn't like my life plan. If you had asked me two years ago, would I be having this conversation with you? Would have never even been on the radar. So what is your background and what were you doing? Like what research were you doing prior to, to this time? Um, I had, 
I'm 63 years old, so the short version of my life is, you know, I went to school for computer science before there were um, personal computers, okay, and um, didn't really want to sit in an office doing coding, so I ended up working as a carpenter for about 15 years, renovating old homes um, in New England. Uh, got tired of freezing my butt off, and I moved out to California, and I ended up managing a couple of mom-and-pop urban nutrition stores. So if you've seen the type of research that I do with WHO, I spent about 15 years digging into natural health, and I came out with an absolute disgust for the pharmaceutical, what I call the pharmaceutical hospital emergency industrial complex. And they're just evil. I mean, I'm just going to say it. There's good people in that industry, but the system is structured in a way that, um, boy, do people need a wake-up call. And it's, quite frankly, been astonishing to me over the last four years that more people haven't awakened. Many people have, but um, that issue is really what is driving what's going on with the WHO. And I can dive into it, or if you have a specific question as to where you want to... Yeah, yeah, let's go straight there. So what um, what does the what do the international health regulations of the WHO say? Well, currently, um, honestly, they're not all that bad. Okay, uh, going back to the beginning of that piece of the story, um, I'll have a little fun with everybody here. Um, do you remember where you were in July of 1969? Were you even the gleam in your parents' eyes? I mean, at that time. They were meeting, the World Health Assembly was meeting for the 22nd time in Boston, Massachusetts. And on July 25th, that's when they adopted the international health regulations. So we've been involved with this for 54 years. And so what happened then is it's more important what's not in that document than what actually was in that document. It's a totally separate agreement from the. Um, Res, or the uh, joint resolution that got us into the WHO from 1948. And it was never um, properly ratified by the method that most people want to point to in the Constitution, with the Senate giving their two-thirds consent and then the president signing off on it. None of that happened. What happened was a bunch of unelected delegates met and they agreed to this document, an internationally binding document, they set up a time period where they said every nation, if they want to, can reject it. Well, we didn't reject it. So it just came into legally binding force on the first day of January in 1971. They also didn't put into the document that, oh, well, in the future, if you make amendments, you have to go back and you have to do what's you know proper in your nation to ratify those amendments. No, no, no. They have this procedure that I just described where they make decisions. And if no one says no, if no one proactively rejects them in a given period of time, then, hey, you missed your opportunity. It's kind of like if you bought some clothes at a store and you had a 30-day guarantee you could return them. And, you know, two months later, you come back, they go, hey, you know, we gave you 30 days. The period of time now is 18 months for any amendments. And every nation has the opportunity to reject them. 
So we didn't technically lose our sovereignty, but what it did was it gave complete and total dictatorial control to the head of state. Our president appoints a delegate. The delegate goes and does whatever the president tells him to do, and they decide amongst themselves, and the president can reject it. But we, the people, and our members of Congress or the Senate or in other nations, the parliament, there's not much we can say about it. And so it's a loss of representative democratic control over what's going on at the WHO, and it's all in the hands of the head of state. And so last year, May 27th, 2022, um, they did adopt amendments. And it's been 17 and a half months, and nobody has said a word. Bless you. And, and so um, this process is the issue that people really need to become aware of, because what people say is, well, oh, the Constitution says that the Senate has to ratify, you know, and that's not really the proper language. It's actually the Senate gives its advice and consent. And the president is actually the one who ratifies it. That process needs to be brought back because it has been shredded. Richard Nixon shredded it in 1969. George Bush shredded it in 2005. They just ignored it. Um, and Biden is in the process of shredding it from 2022. Why hasn't the Senate ever stood up in those years, 69? Um, 2005 and, and last year, and said, hey, wait a minute, you guys are getting us involved in, in an international agreement. We're supposed to be consulted. Um, to my knowledge, other than possibly Andrew Bridgen, who's a member of parliament in the UK, not a single parliamentarian or member of the Senate or Congress has said a word about any of that, speaking up for um, the Senate's uh, authority. Now, Senator Ron Johnson has proposed legislation about what they're trying to do next year, but nobody has gone back and looked at 1969, 2005, and 2022 and said, hey, wait a minute, how did you guys get away with that? So <clears throat> a couple points on that, um, a couple comments and then some questions. You know, it seems to me that one way to fight that, I guess, would be to make a constitutional challenge in court um, to, to these sort of unelected bureaucrats being dictated through the executive office. Um, and then, well, I'll tell you what, I'd like to hear what you think about that. And then we can talk about some of the, it's okay, we can talk about some of the amendments that are being proposed. And if I've read it correctly, I, I, some of this is a funny, not so funny sort of things. I, I think it's they have the authority for public health emergency of international concern, P-H-E-I-C, to declare that. Doesn't that sound pronounce, like it's like it's actually fake? Yeah. yeah. No, you, can't make, you can't make That's this insane. stuff up. Yeah, it, it is. And, and <laughs> Anyhow, so, I'll, I'll let you answer the first question. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll certainly dive in and just tell me when to stop talking. Um, in the current version of the international health regulations from 2005, the director general pretty much can declare a fake, a public health emergency of international concern, 
pretty much any time he wants for any reason. Um, this whole thing with what I call monkeypox, because I know people who live in nations where there's monkeys that run around and they didn't have any problems. It's really where there was a lot of money uh, involved that you saw any kind of, you know, monkeypox. Um, he declared uh, an emergency, um, even overriding the advice of his expert um, advisory committee. And, and so he already has. Wasn't it the, a 69 vote? I believe it was. It was like a 69 sounds, vote. And then. Right. And but it was an advisory committee. It. And then. Yeah, it's it it an advisory committee. Okay. And, and then Pedros came in and said. No, he wasn't good. And, and so. The current international health regulations, if, if, if I was king of the world and I could change them, there's plenty of things that I would change. But all in all, um, they're a pretty weak um, legal instrument. What they did back in 2005 was they agreed to just a few responsibilities that the um, countries have. But there's one that's very important. They um, in it was um, in the amendments that they would have to set up, every nation would have to set up an office within their government. So each nation has this office. It's called the National IHR Focal Point. And their job is to surveil the medical um, goings on in the country. So if there's an outbreak of bubonic plague or polio or you know smallpox or whatever it might be, they're supposed to be on a 24-7 communications basis with the WHO to alert them that there is a problem. And if they feel that it might spread across international borders, then they declare a public health emergency of international concern. But the way it's structured, um, they don't really have power to do much else other than make recommendations. Now, all of the information that people have been talking about for the last year or year and a half or so, let me see if I can rewind it and start from the very beginning and explain what I think is really going on, okay? So if you go back to 2020, whatever the heck it was that people called COVID, there were a lot of people who were very afraid and the general story was that, oh, there's nothing you could do. There's no treatment, there's no nothing. You just gotta wait for these jabs. And so the jabs were rolled out and the idea was this wonderful brand new technology is gonna save us. So we'll have the healthcare workers, doctors, nurses, emergency personnel, and elderly people in rest homes or you know um, people with comorbidities or whatever the determination might be. Since we're just starting to gear up the production of this, let's give it to those specific people around the world first, and then go down to the next level of vulnerability and so forth and so on. Well, that's not how it actually worked. What happened is the United States, the European Union, the UK, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, um, Israel, bought up everything they could buy, bought like 10 shots for everybody. And the relatively poor nations said, hey, where's ours? They couldn't, they couldn't beg a contract. And, and so half a year goes by and they essentially call for a, a, a special session of the, Internet, of the World Health Assembly because they had a trade dispute. Now, if it was food and water, and the wealthy nations were hoarding food and water, 
and the poor nations were saying, hey, that's life-saving stuff. We need some of that. Can you please not be so greedy? You'd go, hey, they got an argument, right? If it truly was life-saving, you know, medications, you could see where they're coming from. Hey, you guys aren't sharing equally. We're just as much, you know, have a right to that. Well, they had a special session of the World Health Assembly at the end of November, December 1st, 2021, almost two years ago now. And the upshot of that, people misunderstand. And, and, and I think you just have to erase the blackboard of your mind and go, why are they even having these negotiations? It's not about health, because they still believe these darn shots are beneficial. I don't agree with that. Well, the equity equality is going to fall down the, down the drain. <laughs> well, what, what, they're, what they're arguing is a trade dispute. And so the agreement was, we need to have these negotiations to have an equitable means of distributing pandemic-related products, drugs, testing equipment, jabs, all that sort of thing. So people have lost sight of why these negotiations are happening. Not about health. It's about the distribution of what they feel are products that are vital, okay? If it was computer chips, right? And we couldn't get the computer chips we needed, like, you know, during COVID. So if you remember that, it all starts to make sense because they're not talking to doctors. They're not examining what worked and what didn't work and what would, what would be the best thing to do. No, 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 no. So when that all um, came out at the 1st of December, 2021, they very clearly said what they wanted. Well, a month and a half later on January 18th, the Biden administration proposes amendments to the international health regulations. And these nations looked at it and said, did you not hear anything we just said in December? And what the Biden administration proposed was a lot of regulations to get the nations to do more surveillance and all that sort of stuff. But there wasn't a word about what they said they wanted. And the most egregious thing that Biden was trying to do was to take the 18-month period of how you could reject any future amendments, which also comes along with a 24-month period that if any amendments were adopted, it wouldn't be until 24 months later that they would be legally binding. Because if you had to implement any legislation or do whatever it was, you know, many treaties have that time period where you sign on to it, but, you know, you got to have some time to make sure that you're in compliance at a certain date. Well, he wanted to take that 24-month period and bring it down to six months, both to reject and to implement. Now, I think the reason for that is if you get out your calendar and you go fast forward to next May, when the next assembly will be happening, six months from that is December 1st of 2024. Biden's still probably going to be in office. So they wanted to shorten the time frame so that whoever the next president may be could not undo what they're trying to slam through. Well, the nations who were, they now refer to themselves as the group for equity. 
there's a group of 29 nations that have banded together and they're arguing for the same thing they've been arguing for this whole time. Many of them got together back in 2022 and they told Biden, forget it, we're not going to accept your amendments. And they kicked them to the curb. They were never even considered in the um, assembly. And then I feel illegitimately, because there's supposed to be four months notice, the Biden administration, along with a handful of other nations, submitted a new set of amendments that did, be, they were adopted. And those amendments shortened the time frame down to 10 months to reject amendments and 12 months to go into effect. And so that was um, a bit of a victory in the sense that 10 months from next May would still bring you into whoever is president in 2025. It'd be like April 1st. So I'm not freaking out about what's going on. I'm working very hard and trying to get people to pay attention. But I know there's a lot of fear-mongering and misinformation. People think the world's coming to an end on December 1st. What you need to really focus on is that, did anybody ask us? Did, did anybody in the Senate even speak a word of this on the Senate floor? Have there been any discussions or any debates? Well, I, you know, I don't know where the quote comes from, but there's a quote floating around in my head that, you know, if you're not um, on top of things when the issues are small, when the issues get bigger, you know, are you going to let it slide next time when they've got 300 amendments that they're considering? So what happened in addition to them passing this small collection of amendments last year, that December 1st is the deadline to reject them, they also set up a process where all of the nations of the world were encouraged to submit whatever amendments they wanted. In, in my view, the nations that wanted equity said to the Biden administration, well, you're not getting what you want, and we're going to show you what we want. And so by September 30th of next year, they submitted 197 pages with 307 amendments from a total of 94 countries. And since they submitted them, they've been negotiating them, and we have not seen a new version. We've seen what they originally submitted, but we haven't seen a revised version. And so they have their, what was supposed to be their last meeting scheduled for Thursday and Friday, December 7th and 8th. We may or we may not get to see a new condensed version of the current state of the negotiations. But interestingly enough, at the beginning of October, they had their meeting all week long. And on Monday, October 2nd, they were meeting to discuss the proposed amendments. And the co-chair came out and said, well, you know, we're all pretty much aware that we're not going to meet our deadline. And that's just what it is. So they wheeled out their, they wheeled out their lawyer, their legal advisor, who took about five minutes to explain Article 55, which says that any amendments have to be submitted four months in advance of the May assembly. And it's crystal clear. There's no wiggle room. I mean, Article 55, a, a grade school kid could read it and understand it. And then they spend an hour talking about how they're going to conspire 
to just ignore it. And then they came back on Friday and they had all of the details of how they were going to just keep negotiating and ignore the deadline. And then they took a coffee break and they came back and they put new wording in that said, well, you know, we're just going to do this, that, and the other. And if you read their final report, you would have no idea that they have every intention of not meeting their deadline and just negotiating up right to the last minute because they're not able to reach agreement because the wealthy nations and the relatively poor nations want very, very different things. And I'm optimistic that they're not going to see eye to eye on this. That's very so, interesting. So I have Go a ahead, question. Dennis. If somebody, um, if somebody wants to get these information out to, let's say, their senator or representative, how how would they be able to get those information to them? Because, as you said, we haven't heard anything about this, mm -hmm. you know, in any of the Senate hearing, any of the House Judicial meeting, nothing. There's there's no talk about these amendments, and um, you know, you might get some leaps here and there, but is there is there anything online or do you have links to anything, you know, most of your research or whatever you've done? Is there anything that we could actually pass along to people so I, they can actually see it, read it, or maybe pass it on to their representatives? Um, absolutely. Um, for the batch of amendments that were adopted on May 27th, 2022, modest batch of amendments that shortened the time period so they can slam through the next batch of amendments, you can go to rejecttheamendments.com, rejecttheamendments.com, okay, for the entire larger pile of amendments that um, are currently being negotiated in secret, you can go to stoptheamendments.com, so rejecttheamendments.com and stoptheamendments.com, and on stoptheamendments.com, if you scroll down, there's a yellow and black booklet, if you're familiar with Cliff Notes. Um, months ago, I wrote uh, a little tiny Cliff Notes booklet, um, and I took the 200-page document, 197-page document, and the 97-page uh, review committee's final report, condensed it down to a little tiny booklet that has much of the pertinent you know, information that's in there. And, and so on my substack, which is the hard part is my name, James Roguski, so jamesroguski.substack.com, I think I've probably written 150 articles. I got to sit down and count them one day, um, you know, over the last year and a half for all of the information. But what I encourage people to do is give me a phone call. Um, my phone number is 310-619-3055. I've spoken to people all around the world. It's a joy. The people who call me are, you know, someone who's one of your viewers who is looking at this going, you know, how do I make sense out of this? I'm more than happy to talk to anybody who um, cares enough to reach out and, and want to talk to me. I've of seen course, your we'll, work, James. We'll include everything in the description down below. So, you know, you'll have links and uh, uh, website and, you know, ways mm -hmm. to get in contact with us as well. So everything will be in the description. Yep. I've seen your work, James. It is very clear and very well written. Thank you for doing right. that. So I had a question about, um, so by December 1st, the leader of the country, is it a leader or the leader of the country has to, um, has to say, has to opt out of the amendments. So I've, 
is it the Senate? Is it a senator? I've I've learned to adjust how I use my language. Um, I refuse to call these people leaders. Okay, we the people need to lead. Okay, and what technically it's it's the head of state, whoever holds the position of a president or a premier or prime minister, a king, um, the pope. And I kid you not, because the Vatican is actually a, a party to the international health regulations. Now, any head of state can delegate authority to a secretary of state, a foreign minister, a health minister, an ambassador to Geneva. They don't necessarily have to do the dirty work of signing a letter. OK, um, so whoever may have been delegated that authority um, in I mean, I've been doing my homework on this in the UK and Canada and Australia, you know, the king has that authority. And well, he's not going to bother. He's going to tell some minister somewhere to do that through their governor general, whatever it may be. It's not us. Right. We don't get to vote on it. We don't even get to comment on it officially. Um, and more importantly, our Senate has been asleep at the wheel. They haven't they didn't do anything in 1969. They didn't do anything in 2005. They didn't do anything in 2022. And, you know, when are they going to get up and do something? Now, I don't profess to be a, a, a constitutional law expert. OK, but the Senate, if it wanted to, could make a statement. They could pass a resolution saying, you know, um, you guys forgot about us in 1969. You forgot about us in 2005. We forgot about our own selves in 2022. Somebody needs to have a commission to look into this. What the heck is going on? So, hey, you know, I have a couple questions and hopefully I'm reading the right stuff. I was trying to get a little information to make sure I wasn't totally without some sort of uh, background. And if I'm reading this correctly, one of the things that's concerning to me is that there sounds like there's stipulations on control of information. So the WHO would have control of information uh, and it's written into the charter and it's uh, it would supersede the authorities of nations. Now, um, you know, I, I, I'm, I guess I'm a conspiracy theorist, but like event 201, uh, focused on, a big focus of that was actually information control. And so it's worrisome to me as a citizen to think that some outside body could have some, we've seen how bad it's been here in the United States with just the, you know, if you're reading some of the sub stacks from say Matt Taibbi or Mike Schellenberger, you know, these people have been writing about uh, the censorship industrial complex. What I don't want is an expansion in, so that, you know, the who has some some role in that. Am I reading that correctly? Is there going to be sort of a an ability for the who to monitor information? Um, it, uh, again, I've I've chosen to adjust how I use the language. Okay, and so whenever I talk about what they're proposing, I say these are things that they're proposing, but we're not going to let them happen. A lot of times, what what I hear out there in the fear mongering world is, oh, they're going to do this, and you know. We're going to have these horrible things. Uh, all I try to do is point to what they're doing to say, look, we cannot let this happen. Now, I, I need to 
differentiate because there's three separate piles of information, at least. The first pile, we've talked a little bit about the amendments that shortened the time frame. Then there's this monstrous pile of amendments that all these nations proposed. There's a couple of lines in there about what you're mentioning, uh, but that document is going through a complete rewrite at this moment, hoping to see a new version uh, first week of December. So there's other issues in there that I hope we have a chance to talk about. If you then go to the third thing, which we really haven't talked very much about, which has had many, many names. They've had many, many versions, six or seven or eight, and some of them have been hidden, never to be seen. They're now calling the latest document the proposed um, negotiating text for the pandemic agreement. And one of the articles in that document addresses exactly what you're talking about. They want the WHO, you know, to be the fountain of all things that are true. Well, you know, I think I could nip that in the bud with one simple comment. Uh, about a week or so ago, um, Tedros Ghebreyesus, who's the director general, tweeted that heart disease, cancer, and diabetes and other disease rates are on the increase because of climate change. Man, I would love to see the double-blind placebo-controlled study um, that proves that statement. Now, that should be but doesn't enough. That, doesn't that lead to the thing you were talking about before, though? Sorry to interrupt, but doesn't no, that ahead. lead to what we were talking about before? If they have the ability to declare a public health emergency uh, of inter what is it, public health emergency of international concern, theoretically, they could be like, oh, I'm sorry, but anxiety is the new one or, or stress is the new climate change is the new concern. Can't they theoretically do something like that? They already have, and they can. Okay. The, the issue, though, is okay. many, many people are focused on those types of issues, and those types of issues are in the original documents. But I want to bring people's attention back to what is really going on here, in, in my humble estimation. This is a business deal. This is a trade dispute. And the meat of what's really going on here can be found in this set of amendments, but most people are drawn to the things you're talking about. But what they actually have in the annexes yes, of yes. these amendments, pardon? Um, I said, what, yeah, what, I have been drawn to them. They're worrisome. They're very worrisome. But the boring stuff that's in the annexes, okay, um, and in Article 13a, um, and, and this is what I think people really need to focus on. And if you thought the stuff you were thinking about was worrisome, wait until you hear this. So Bangladesh and the African nations as a group both submitted surprisingly similar amendments to create a new Article 13a in the international health regulations. And what that would do is, now I must admit, it would address the reason why they wanted to have these negotiations. They would allow, obviously, as it is currently the case, the director general to declare a public health emergency of international concern, but then it would empower him to decide immediately what was needed 
what products were needed to deal with it, he would then be able to create an allocation mechanism and he could tell nations to tell their manufacturing base what they needed to make and deliver to the nations that need them. Now, if you're at all familiar with the Marxist communist philosophy of, you know, owning the means of production and a centralized command and control mechanism, boy, that's like, you know, the picture perfect example. Okay, that's in Article Thirteen A from both of these. Didn't we run into this with swine flu? Um, didn't we run into this with swine flu? Because the uh, there H1, were there were many contracts. Yep, there were many contracts. A lot of Sorry. a lot of um, contracts were set to kick into gear and all that sort of stuff. But it it wasn't necessarily quite so Marxist in its philosophy, right? It was just business contracts. So here's what has apparently happened. The negotiations for those articles that I just mentioned in the amendments have been done in total secrecy. So we have no idea where that's going, if anywhere. But what popped up in the other set of negotiations is something that's um, different. I'll just say that. It's, it's far more capitalistic in nature. They um, would have the nations agree to what they call a pathogen access and benefit sharing system. And so, and this kind of comes more from the United States and the European Union and the larger wealthier nations. Their response or their negotiating position in, in back to this is, well, if you in the smaller nations build all these laboratories and do all this testing and go scour the countryside under the One Health approach, looking for, and this is literally a term that they're defining in their document, pathogens with pandemic potential. If you bring those into the lab and do the genomic sequencing of it and give it to the central WHO laboratory hub, and we turn that into drugs or jabs, We'll share some of those benefits with you to the tune of 20% of whatever's produced, 10% to be donated, and 10% to be given at a reasonable price. This is where they're headed in the negotiations. Now, now you just go, well, wait a minute. I thought the purpose of this was to prevent let the me, next let me pandemic. Ask so what that means is, yes. so if a, if a poor nation finds a strain of virus and hands it over to WHO, and this is a poor nation, mind you. They find a new virus, hands it to the central WHO. Central WHO creates an antidote for this virus. That poor nation gets 20%, which 10% of it is guaranteed, and the, 10, the other 10% is discounted for them. So they don't and, even get the first dibs on, and, on the antidote. You know, for you, them to protect their own nation first. You're talking like Am a third I understanding world. that right? You're, you're talking. No offense, I'm saying this with a smile on my face. You're taking the negotiating <laughs> position of the third world nations. That's exactly what they're saying. They're going, "Are you out of your minds? Okay, we want what we need. You know, they want whatever is needed to go to whomever needs it, being made by whoever can afford to make it." And the negotiating sure, position sure. coming back at them is, 
well, you spend a lot of money. And now one of the things that's very specific about what's going on here is the language in the current document for the requirements for nations to scour the countryside and build the laboratories and identify the pathogens and do the genomic sequence. The language in that part of the document is you shall. Okay. And the language in the 20% coming back and the intellectual property for being able to manufacture your own mRNA jabs, that's like, well, you know, we'll try to do that. We'll, we'll, we'll encourage our companies to do that. We'll encourage so um, corporations. Pardon? Who controls Sorry, who the data? Controls the um, data? So they go out and do these longitudinal. We've seen this with COVID. They go out to longitudinal studies. They pull out these viruses. Who gets the data? Because that, to me, seems like a, 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 a very risky... I mean, we've done these PPP things before, and so far we haven't prevented a single pandemic with any of them. So they're well, saying, no, 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 we need to do more of that? And Yeah, make this stuff up. Yes. Okay. If you go to the people's... If you go to thepeoplesdeclaration.com, I summarized all of this into a one-sheeter. And just, you guys already get it, okay? It's not, it, it's very, very obvious. Um, wait a minute. Um, maybe this was caused because you went into a bat cave somewhere, and you brought that into a laboratory, and you're messing with it, and something happened. Don't you think you should have a treaty to outlaw gain of function and outlaw that sort of stuff. And so if you go to the peoplesdeclaration.com, it lays out exactly what we're talking about here, what you're saying. How in the world are did they get to the place where trying to prevent the next pandemic is to do more of what probably caused this one? It's crazy. Uh, so so during your research, I, I always go back to this because um, uh, uh, I see how humans kind of react to scary things or scary mm -hmm. thoughts. Um, how much of the research you've done or the, the stuff that you've seen uh, from the past up until now uh, always pinpoint and always go back to fear and getting people scared enough to comply with their amendments that they're trying to push down, push down the whatever authority they're trying to pass or whatever it is they're trying to do. How much of that plays a huge role about these amendments, about these, you know, WHO rules and, you know, X, Y, and Z? You're, you're hitting the nail on the head, okay? If you, if you just think about what happened over the last four years and you realize that what they're doing is trying to negotiate a business deal to build out the industry that would go find scary pathogens, bring them into the lab, structure the language. Article 4, there's an amendment to Article 4 in, uh, that's been proposed that says that this, these rules would not just apply when there is an emergency, but even if there was the potential for an emergency. So they literally have a term that they want to define uh, pathogen with pandemic potential. That's not 
a pathogen that is currently causing people to become sick and die. Oh, well, you know, we're working on the laboratory and it might have the potential to do that. Oh, we got an emergency. One of the things they want to do, they I, I actually interviewed somebody who they were doing this in North Dakota over the past couple of years. They want to do surveillance of every aspect of society, including wastewater. This is an ongoing project. You could go on the CDC. You can see it. I've written articles about it. They keep checking wastewater, your sewage. And if they run the cycle threshold up high enough, they can find almost anything they want. And if you know anything about plumbing, um, you know, bad joke, I used to work um, in, in construction, um, shit flows downhill, right? And the reason why it is, is because they make it at the top. But in a sewage system, if you find a, a source point, you could go upstream and say, oh, well, this had to come from that neighborhood. Let's lock it down, jab them up, and move along. Oh, we prevented the next pandemic by pre you know, preemptively identifying something scary and then jabbing everybody simply based on the potential. Oh, we found some polio in your poop, or we found some bird flu in your chicken coop, or some, you know, swine flu in in your pigsty, or there's some a strange pathogen in your local hospital or in your veterinarian's office. That's what the One Health approach essentially is. They want to monitor every aspect of life, find something scary, scare the daylights out of people, bring that into a lab, send it off to a pharmaceutical company to make a drug or a jab, share some of the profits, because you know part of this is the poor nations they didn't make any of the money. Pfizer, Moderna, and whatever made all of these profits. They want that intellectual property to come into their nation so that they can build the manufacturing plants. And in um, the annexes for the um, amendments in the original version, it literally said that developed nations shall invest and build state of the art facilities in developing nations. Now, if you're developing nations, that sounds pretty good. If you're not, it's like, well, what are we going to get for that? Well, if we're going to build all these laboratories, you're going to give us your pathogens. And what you got to really realize can actually be found in the National Defense Authorization Act that was passed almost a year ago in December of 2022. And it's called the Global Health Security Agenda. Fancy word for Defense Department biological warfare, in my opinion. Okay, They promised to give a billion dollars a year into the World Bank's pandemic fund, several hundred million of which have already been dispersed earlier this year, going out to relatively poor nations, Caribbean islands, all that kind of thing. They're building genomic sequencing labs all over the world. I did an article back in February of 2022 about how the Defense Department had funded and built 36 biolabs in the Ukraine. And, you know, that's just what they're doing. It's global health security. It's a euphemism for biological warfare. And we're the victims. So a, a comment and then a couple questions. 
first, the comment is, you know, it sounds good to build a lab in your country until, say, a pathogen escapes and causes a massive disaster, uh, not just in your country, but potentially mm -hmm. elsewhere. Else. So that's my comment. Uh, but there must be a means, like, you know, these sort of agreements always have dispute mechanisms. So, you know, when when you when the rubber meets the road and something gets something happens and they want to right. go say we're going to do this this and this there's got to be some means by which if we're like nah that doesn't sound so good to us to be able to uh, have a discussion that, that's a normal thing a dispute resolution uh -huh. and i mean in many cases shouldn't it be a non-binding resolution and if it is binding and we don't want to do it or participate are there penalties um you know how does this work i feel like there's always an out in any it, it's like contract law you set up what you can do and and that's the only thing you're paying to do and if they don't put it in there then no you're not doing all the other stuff if if you're thinking along the lines of contract law you're headed in the right direction okay because that's really what this is is what i've been trying to tell everybody for months now this is a big venture capital prospectus back in november of 2022 at the um, not the G20, but the B20, you know, all the business leaders that met in Bali, the Indonesian health minister came out and said about what I was just talking about, the um, uh, World Bank's pandemic fund. He said, look, they're starting up this fund. The United States has put in a billion dollars. They want to get it up to like $10 billion a year. Go invest. This is a great business opportunity. The, the pandemic profiteering business model is a boon. You know, if you want to put you know money into a growth industry, they're setting up this whole structure to go find more pathogens. Okay. And so you're you're right on target with that idea. But here's what's the problem that they're having difficulty with. And the way that I'm concerned that they're likely to solve it is about as frightening a thing as I could possibly imagine. And I'm not a fear mongery kind of guy. They're having a trade dispute. The poor nations proposed essentially Marxist philosophy, command and control. We need it. You got it. You give it to us. Okay. The response to that is, well, no, that's not going to happen. You got some pathogens that we might be interested in because we could turn those things into money and we might cut you in on the deal a little bit. Okay. But they're having difficulty working out the details for the very, very thing that you mentioned. You're, you're right on target, even if you haven't read, you know, all these documents. The compliance aspect of this is non-existent. They're trying to reach, you know, a mutually beneficial agreement where, you know, nations have what they have. Other nations have what they have, they horse trade, and they figure out how to build this system. Well, they've realized that they're not going to meet their deadline. And so the danger is that what they're negotiating with this new agreement is really a framework convention that they, they're going to try to meet in the middle somewhere with a very boring vanilla agreement that sets up an ongoing bureaucracy called the Conference of the Parties that will meet every year to hammer out the details on into the infinite future. 
and they want to be throwing ten billions, you know, tens of billions of dollars into this. Appoint representatives that are who, whichever nations want to have a seat at the table to get a piece of the pie. Their delegates would make up the conference of the parties. They would meet on a yearly basis and design and a- adopt protocols that are very similar to, you know, you writing a blank check and handing it over to somebody. Go, yeah, you just fill it in. We'll worry about that later. And so the danger is evident if you go back to 1992, all of the nations in the United Nations, including the United States, signed on to the Framework Convention for Climate Change. Now, that went through the Senate. They signed off on that. It's an official treaty. It got their two-thirds advice and consent, and it was formally ratified. And at the end of November, the first two weeks of December, is going to be the 28th Conference of the Parties for the Framework Convention for Climate Change. And so if you want to see the future that could, you know, crush us, think about the Framework Convention for Pandemic Prevention, Preparedness, and Response, meeting year after year after year after year the way they've been doing with climate change. So every time they get together and they make decisions, all of the nations agree to whatever the hell they're deciding back in 1992. And so my plea to everybody in the world is just come to an awareness of what they're really trying to do. They're trying to get us to sign on to a blank check. Okay, just agree to this treaty agreement, whatever they want to call it, and worry about the details later. That's about the dumbest thing any nation. It's about the dumbest thing any nation can do is set up a bureaucracy that they don't have any influence over, but agree that whatever they decide in the future is legally binding upon us. That's what they're trying to do. And it's crazy. So if they make a dumb decision, (laughs) so if they make dumb decisions and uh, there's some fallout, whatever that fallout is, and, you know, they've caused harm, uh, can they get sued? Can they they be held accountable? Everybody in the WHO has diplomatic immunity. That's that's fantastic, James. Just James, like the pharmaceuticals, they have uh, they have immunity. They don't get sued if uh, their vaccine kills somebody. So uh, follow the same 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 logic. And you know, it was just it was just like Obamacare. You know, Pelosi said, pass the bill first to see what's what's in it. Yeah. So you know, and people were like, yeah, yeah, do it. Let's 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 pass <laughs> it because we want to know what's in it. We don't know what's in it until it's passed. So WHO is going to follow the same logic because they know how stupid people are. So, and no offense to the stupid people, but, you know, that's, that's how it is. Not- <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's so realistically, that's what they're doing. And, um, and, and it's because people have, they basically put their trust in the government, 100%. I know that we're running short on time, but uh, you like the phrase out of the who and in with the new. What, in your opinion, is the new that we should be seeking? Well, number one, it's not centralized control of, you know, all things related to health. Number two, it's not seeking out more pathogens to bring them into laboratories to make more biological weapons. 
Okay. Um, in terms of the defunding, just so you know, there is um, appropriations legislation that has passed the House um, in our Congress that does defund the WHO. Okay. But hold on a moment. The National Defense Authorization Act gave a billion dollars to this. So it's more than just the WHO. It's the darn Defense Department. Okay. This is the global health security agenda. This is biological warfare under fancy names with people who are purporting to be negotiating to improve your health. Now, if you, if you grab a copy of the International Health Regulations and you just look through the titles, you would realize that it's got nothing to do with health at all. They have the authority under Article 21 of the Constitution of the WHO to write regulations about things like labeling, you know, those blank inserts that told you nothing about what's in the product and the risk. Okay. There should be regulations that they wrote that would not have permitted that, but they've failed for 76 years to do that. They also, under Section D of Article 21, have the right to have regulations governing the purity of pharmaceutical products and biological products. Well, you know, if you've been paying attention, the jabs are filled with all kinds of ungodly stuff. They have the authority to write regulations for proper diagnostic testing uh, criteria. Well, if you know anything about the uh, RT-PCR, it's not a test, but yet they used it as such. They have the authority to um, set um, uh, regulations for cause of death, the determination of the cause of death. Do you think anybody manipulated that data? They're not writing the regulations that they should be writing, and they've had 76 years to do so. So defunding them is a good They're start. They're pacing themselves. They're pacing themselves. <laughs> um, defunding them, that's a good one. Defunding them is, is a good start. But interestingly enough, I wrote an article a couple of weeks ago, and the title of it I knew would upset some of my readers. And I said, zero presidential candidates and zero senators. And we have had 50 some members of Congress sign on to H.R. Um, 79, which is the withdraw, um, the WHO Withdrawal Act. So there are currently 54 the sponsor and 53 co-sponsors, members of Congress, who have signed on to exiting the WHO. If you go to exitthewho.com, you can see all that information. And I said, you know, but no presidential candidates and no senators have said anything about exiting the WHO. And I knew that there are some Trump supporters who read my material that they would give me a hard time because Trump started the process to exit the WHO. But when Biden came in, he put the kibosh on it, so it never actually happened. But he hasn't said anything in the in the campaign. Well, I got a lot of flack, and I said, hey, you know, go find something in the campaign literature where he says that, you know, he would exit the who. And interestingly enough, I don't know if I had anything to do with it, but two days later, he published a statement that said, yes, he would, you know, put the um, kibosh on, on the treaty and the amendments and all that, and, and would not only defund, but exit the WHO, and recommended that they be demolished and that a new organization be started. Well, I don't think we need a new organization, right? If you, if you believe in the biblical story of man being on earth for several thousand years, 
for evolution, and we've been here for hundreds of thousands of years. Up until 1940-something, I think we were doing okay without a World Health Organization. And I think we'll be doing much better if this one just gets abolished, put on the you know trash heap of history, and we get on with the new of treating every individual human, man and woman, as, as the unique creature that they are and address their individual health with whatever advice they want to take and give them the freedom to make their own choices. We don't need no stinking bureaucrats in Geneva who don't know anything about our lives, setting protocols, telling us what we have to do, trying to scare us with, you know, frightening pathogens of pandemic potential. You know, leave leave the guano in the bat cave, okay? Don't go looking for trouble. Deal with health on, on an individual basis. Get good food, good water, you know, good nutrition. Make people healthier. Allow their expert advisors, whoever they choose to follow advice from, to deal with it on an individual basis. James, thank you so much for coming on today. I have one last question for you. If the American citizen can do one thing to combat the corruption that we see and that we've discussed about today, what would it be? You know, this is going to surprise you. Um, it's to take the link to this video and share it with everybody you possibly can imagine sharing it with. Now, that doesn't mean you take this link and you post it on Facebook and you pray that you don't get shadow banned and, you know, ghosted and, you know, the algorithm <laughs> is going to. Okay, that, That's not how it works. What I'm talking about is if you think the information that you heard here is worthwhile, take the link to this video and go into your phone and start at A, you know, go to Ann and Anthony and, you know, Bob and Carol and Doug on down the line and send a text message to absolutely everybody you know and just say, look, could you watch this video and give me your opinion? Then go to your email account and do the same thing. And then if you have a social media account, whatever it may be, and you can DM somebody, it, this will take you a couple of days. This is not easy. It's simple. It takes a little bit of time. If you don't do that, if you do not take this video and share it with everybody you can imagine sharing, then you're as bad a censor as Facebook or Twitter or the WHO. If you've got this information and you don't share it with the people you know and love and maybe some that you don't love and, and go, look, just take a look at it so that you're aware. You don't have to convince them of anything. Absolve yourself of the duty of sharing some new information. And while you're at it, send it to your congressperson, send it to your senator, and ask them to reply to tell you that they did receive it. Because then they're busted. They now know. You've, you sent it to them. It's our responsibility as citizens to tell our representatives what it is we want them to do. If they're busy listening to lobbyists or donors or the World Economic Forum or whomever, part of the reason is because we haven't been in their face telling them, look, you work for us. We're the constituent. You're our representative. This is what we demand you do. Now, if you're in the minority, 
And the majority of everybody else, and especially the people with money, are whispering in their ears about what they want. It's our fault for not letting them know what we demand. And so make it easy on you. There's a million things you can do. You can call me, 310-619-3055. Go to jamesforguskey.substack.com. Um, my favorite place to go is um, screwthewho.com. It's a collection of videos that people <laughs> the collection of videos that people made a year ago telling the, telling the WHO what it is they wanted the WHO to do in regards to these negotiations. And it's just regular people who took the time to get out their phone, get out their camera, speak their mind, put it out on the internet, and be the media. Okay? You guys are doing a wonderful job. Thanks for having me. But each and every one of us has the technology to be able to become the media. And take your own opinion, record it, put it out there, do a TikTok video, jazz it up all you want. If you watch the second video on screwthewho.com, there's many to watch. But, you know, Jimmy down in Ecuador did a spectacular job a year ago. You know, don't feel you got to do that good of a quality. Scroll down and then you can watch mine and you can scroll down and watch some other people. What matters is that you're real, that you're honest, you're, you're yes. true to yourself, and you say what it is you want. And then send your video to your congressperson and your senator and everybody else and say, look, you need to look at this. You need to understand what's going on. You need to speak up against it because we're not having it. We're all average people, and we all can make these videos. We all can make our voice heard. Thank you so much, James, for coming on. We really enjoyed having you. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate Thank you. It. And James, everyone out there, you heard it from James. You're as bad as the who if you don't spread this video out there. <laughs> send it to your friends. I tell you what, that's, I'm going to get on my phone tonight. Tonight. Are you going to uh, send it to me? Yeah. I'll, right. I'll tell you, uh, I, 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 I do that quite often. And, you know, if you do it in the evening, you know, go lay on the couch or whatever, relax and, you know, send, you know, send it, send it, send it, send it, send it. I turn my phone off when I go to sleep. When you turn your phone on in the morning, it's like ding, 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 ding. And, and most people, most people are, thank you so much. I, I had no idea. Oh, that's so great. You know, hey, do the same to the next person. Um, I'll leave you with a math problem. Okay. Um, if there's a hundred people that watch this. And they each tell 100 people and they do it down through five levels. 100 times 100, five times, is 10 billion. This could be around the world, yeah. you know, overnight. Okay. But people just have to take the time to share it with the people that you know and love and um, spread the word. <laughs>